It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I love 40s. What the hell is going on? Welcome to episode number 623 of Locked On Raptors for Tuesday, December the 17th. I am your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors. We can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network where we have team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams, all 32 NFL teams. If you're a football fan uh, ahead of the NFL playoffs, please make sure you're subscribing and rating and reviewing all the shows corresponding to the teams that you like. Uh, Buffalo Bills fans, for example, can go listen to Locked On Bills because the Bills are good and that's fun. And I know a lot of Raptors fans are Bills fans because of Toronto and all that stuff. Um, So if you're a Bills fan, make sure you're subscribing and, and getting all of the latest on Locked On Bills ahead of their big game against the Patriots this weekend. we got the NHL channel, of course, going strong too. Uh, baseball for your off-season uh, hot stove talk and all that good stuff. So uh, no shortage of stuff on the network for you to check out. Please subscribe, rate, and review the shows that you want to support the most. Uh, all right, on today's show, just me here after the Raptors beat the Cleveland Cavaliers 133-113 last night in Toronto. I was at the game, uh, just couldn't record a podcast because I had to catch a bus because uh, I was on morning radio this morning, and the 45-minute difference between the 11 o'clock bus and the 11.45 bus made the difference between a podcast and made me have a little bit more sleep, which was very nice. So apologies for no instant reaction podcast afterwards, but it's not like this game required a ton of in-depth analysis or anything. The Cavs suck ass, and that's basically what you need to know about this game. Not exactly a measuring stick or anything for the Raptors, uh, unfortunately, if you're looking for that, and it doesn't tell us anything about whether the Raptors are kind of coming out of their funk when it comes to their performances against very good teams, but... It was at least encouraging that for the second straight game, they kept uh, an inferior team at arm's length pretty much the entire way. I don't think the Cavs, after the Raptors' initial burst to get up by like 18 in the first quarter, I don't think the Cavs got to within seven at any point, and it just, they never felt like they had the juice on, on defense in particular to gain any ground. It was sort of like the inverse of, I think we talked about back in the in the days where the Raptors were playing the Magic every other day for a little while there, about how the Magic, when they get down 10, it's just not scary at all because they can never string together enough good offensive possessions to, to you know, cut a dent into the deficit. And that kind of goes for the Cavs, but for, de- for their defense, their defense is just so horrid. I don't know if I've seen a worse defensive team where it just seemed like it was so easy for the Raptors to get into their stuff, get to their spots, find open looks, and the Raptors put up a 58% clip from the field, shot a pretty ungodly percentage from downtown as well, if I recall, get the numbers here, 50% exactly from downtown, 16 to 32. It was just a really well-oiled machine uh, for the Raptors on offense last night, and the Cavs were applying all of that oil themselves, just like putting it at all the gears, because man, it just... Uh, I know we've seen the Raptors play the Knicks and some other really bad teams in the league. I think the Cavs are the worst team I've seen all year. They don't have 
any defensive horses whatsoever. I know Tristan Thompson is okay, but as the only guy on defense who has any hope of sticking with anybody, it was uh, pretty rough to watch. Didn't really have an answer for Pascal Siakam, who of course led the way with 33 points on 13 to 24 shooting. Bit of a nice, efficient nice for night for him to bounce back after a string of not so efficient games and his true shooting percentage falling below 55 for a second there. It's back up uh, closer to 56 now, so that's good. And the Cavs, once again, are the reason for that. You know, Darius Garland and Colin Sexton had an okay game offensively, respectively. You know, they were 17 of 30 combined. They had 45 points, but their defense is just non-existent. Their playmaking is not really good at all. And Kevin Love looks like he would rather be anywhere else. He just didn't even look like... It wasn't even so much that he didn't stand a chance on defense. It looked like he didn't care to stand a chance. Like, he could have probably done a little better on a couple occasions to stick in front of, like, OG Ananobi on the two or three occasions where OG completely blew by him and destroyed him, or he could have maybe been a little bit more sturdy against Marc Gasol, who scored on a pair of post-ups against him, one on a turnaround jump shot, I think, in the first quarter, and then one on a post-up in the third quarter. And if you're getting scored on inside the paint by Marc Gasol, that's kind of a sign that your defense is a little bit flimsy and that's sort of what the deal was with with Kevin Love last night. He looks like he is completely checked out, and I can't really blame him because this team doesn't really seem to have any sort of identity or coaching behind them whatsoever. It is very Knicks-like in that the identity is just not there. You don't really know exactly like what they're trying to execute on every single time down the floor. They just happen to have a few explosive scorers who kind of keep them in it sometimes, but there's not really any rhyme or reason to anything they do, and they kind of have a lot of the same player. Like, they have Colin Sexton and Darius Garland, and then off the bench, they just have worse versions of them in Jordan Clarkson and Kevin uh, Kevin Porter Jr., all kind of the same player, all kind of the same uh, like style of play, just sort of irrational gunners, and that's fun to watch in a certain context, but if you're a Cavs fan and that's all you have on your team, or that's what your entire backcourt is made up of, then that's kind of a problem, and the Raptors were never in trouble in this one, and that was nice to see, and man, there were just so many instances in this one where the horridness of the Cavaliers was brought to light. There was one play, I mean, Patrick McCaw hit two threes, that should probably tell you what was going on in this one. He, on one play, had so much time on a wide open three that he pump faked himself out of his shoes, regained his composure and fired up a three and hit it, and then there was another play later on that kind of stood out to me too. It was the fourth quarter, the Cavs were like sort of kind of making a bit of a spirited comeback, not really, they were down 20, Uh, the Raptors had a bit of a kooky bench lineup in there, which we'll get to at the end of the show, but the Cavs were running a post up for Larry Nance, and look, Larry Nance is fine, whatever, he's not great, he's fine, he had 7-6-3 last night, he's a pretty decent passer, actually on this play I'm talking about, he made a very nice pass, because I believe it was Chris Boucher and Serge Ibaka sent a double team his way, as the Raptors are wont to do, uh, when guys are in the post, they do it a lot, they're, they're pretty aggressive with their doubles, and Nance made a really nice pass out to the far wing, and on that wing, standing there, was John Henson spacing the floor, John Henson of the 14 career made, three, made threes in 400 and something games, 431 games or something like that, uh, and like a career 28% three-point shooter on his 51 attempts over his entire career, and obviously he didn't shoot because he's John Henson, so he kicks it to the corner, I think Garland's in the corner, he throws up like a heavily contested three because the Raptors had rotated back, that bricks, Larry Nance gets called for an offensive foul going for the rebound, and the possession's over, and it was just like a... 
masterclass of shittiness. <laughs> it really was what it was from the Cavaliers. So again, not a ton to take from this win if you're the Raptors and you're sort of trying to measure them up against the, the best players in the league or the best teams in the league or anything like that. But um, certainly a nice reminder of what things could be because there were some serious like Jay Triano era like vibes from this Cleveland Cavaliers defense and you know even back to like the Mike James defense like that's kind of the level of defense we've seen on the floor in Toronto before that the Cavs were throwing out there and so uh pretty easy stuff for the Raptors as they go along to their 18th win of the season few things of note Pascal Siakam as I mentioned really comfortable game for him uh and his three-point shooting is absurd at this point he's uh up to like six and a half attempts a game which the jump from last year where he was just above two, he's almost tripled the number of threes he's putting up every single game. He's hitting 38% of them and considered that most of them are coming from above the break and fewer of them are catching shoots like they were last year where they were pretty much all catching shoots in the corner wide open because teams were not really worried about guarding him and he just sort of made them pay. This year, they're more contested. This year, they're above the break. This year, some of them are off the dribble. And I, I don't, like, I know we've kind of gotten caught up in the in the bit of the doldrum that Siakam's found himself in over the last couple weeks here. The last couple games have brought him out of that a little bit. But I know we've kind of gotten a little bit sort of caught up in the lack of efficiency and the wonky shooting lines and stuff like that and the lack of energy and aggression and all that. But man, the three-point shooting from him has been ridiculous. And I think we should probably take a second to just, like understand and appreciate and uh, bask in the glow of Siakam completely changing his shot chart this season, amping his usage up from about 20 up to about 29, totally changing the difficulty of his shots, creating more on his own, taking shots from way more difficult spots on the floor, never really being in a position where he's being opportunistic. It's just sort of, a, you know, by obligation, he has to create his offense because he's the best offensive player on the team. And he's doing it, man. And I, I have an inkling that the efficiency is going to creep up here as it seems like Kyle Lowry's injection back into the lineup is no longer that much of an issue. And it seems like everyone's kind of getting accustomed to playing at close to full health. And I can only imagine, and I was talking this morning on the radio with Jack Armstrong, and he was like, look, there's no real like surprise that Pascal Siakam's, you know, efficiency kind of dipped during the time where the Raptors were just breaking from three because the space on the floor and even provided by guys like Matt Thomas and stuff like that and Fred Van Vliet and all these guys when they're healthy and, and available and hitting their threes, like when that happens, the space on the floor is just so much more available for Siakam to, to reach his spots. He's not bogged down by two or three bodies coming his way and teams aren't really, you know, aren't at liberty to just throw a bunch of attention his way because everyone else on the floor is a threat. And, you know, that that kind of checks out. And I think we probably will see over the course of the season. And I'd be curious uh, to go back and look at some of Siakam's best games and worst games, how they sort of line up with how the team shot from three in, that, in those games. And look, maybe that's not a great sign in terms of Siakam's ability to be an offense unto himself and sort of overcome the shortcomings of his teammates to be able to um, sort of carry the carry the day the way Kawhi did last season. But guess what? Not everyone's Kawhi. And Siakam, if he's even like 60% or 70% of that this season, it's a, a, a freaking miracle and, a, and a, just like a wonderful luxury for the Raptors to have, um, considering where they picked him and his development and all this stuff. So 
just uh, in all of the, the panic about his aggression and all that stuff, I think it's important to take a second to realize that his three-point shooting is nuts, and like he seems just so confident in that shot right now. From the wing, it feels like he doesn't miss anymore at all. Um, those catch-and-shoots on the left or right wing, like those are just money for him at this point. And you know, the more those go down and the more the, the three-point attempts per game creep up to you know seven, eight a game, like the more that's going to help him sort of flesh out the rest of his game as well. Um, so yeah, shouts to Pascal. Very nice game from him. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need indeed. Norm Powell was also amazing in this game. 26 points, 11 of 15, 4 of 6 from downtown, 6 boards, 5 assists, 4 steals, and a block. Uh, I mean, the play from Norm lately has been ridiculous. I believe our pal Assad Alvi tweeted out, Over the last 9 games, he's at 20 points a game, 4 boards, 2 assists, 2 steals, 58% from three or from the field, sorry, 47% from downtown, and uh, 79% from the line. Like, the splits are nuts, and it prompted, after the game last night, another great performance from Norm without Fred Van Vliet in the starting five, prompted a question about whether Nick Nurse is going to potentially reconsider his starting five once Fred gets back, which it seems like he's getting pretty close. And Nurse was like, yeah, it's it's absolutely going to come into my into my thinking. And look, I don't think we're going to see like a straight norm for Fred switch. I don't think that's an amazing idea, like politics wise. Like you're looking at Fred Van Vliet as a guy you probably want to keep around long term. Right. And I don't know if he's the kind of guy, the bet on yourself mentality and all of it that we love so much. I'm not sure he's going to take kindly to losing his starting job due to injury. But I do think we might see Norm potentially close some games a little bit here as we go forward. That matters more than starting anyway. And I think we might see the sort of the matchup-based switching in and out or just some quicker rotation alterations from Nick Nurse. So maybe we see, you know, five or six minutes into the game, one of Fred or Kyle comes out, Norm gets in with the starters for a little bit of run, and Norm can kind of run free where he's always been best. And I've said it probably more than anything else I've said on this show in the entire run of 623 episodes. Norm Powell is very good as the fourth or fifth guy in a lineup who can take advantage of a compromised defense. I feel like I've said that so many times and it just continues to bear itself true. And I wonder exactly how Nick Nurse is going to sort of finagle this because it's it's not an easy thing to manage, right? You have the emotions and the and the the sort of ego and everything that you have to sort of consider when you're making a starting lineup change. And Fred Van Vliet again doesn't seem like a guy who fancies himself, uh, you know, getting a demotion for no reason because Fred's been amazing and been a borderline All Star this season. And you know, it's been one of them good problems. I think there was a couple suggestions last night that maybe OG be taken out of the starting five and you go with a Lowry. Uh, Fred Powell backcourt. I don't think that's really an option because I think OG's also been great and his defense is so vital, you know, when it comes to just guarding individual guys one-on-one, taking the burden off of Siakam, getting the transition offense going because of his steals and his ability to force misses. Like, he's really important to have out there. And I think it'd be sort of a misplaced fix a little bit to throw Norm at the three and take OG out. I don't think that's the answer. And OG's always been much like Norm, better as the fourth or fifth guy. I also think it might just be a matter of, you know, potentially altering the, the rotation so you always kind of have 
more of like a Sixers type of thing. Instead of going with a straight bench unit where maybe you end up with a situation where if Norm's coming off the bench, you're putting him in as like the one or two guy in the lineup. You know, I don't think that's the option. I don't think that's what you want to go with. And I think it's been proven out a million times. But, you know, I wonder if maybe there's a way to sort of pair up like Gasol and Fred and then Lowry and Siakam and just make sure those guys are staggered together at some point and always having those guys on the floor. And that's tough to do, obviously. Foul trouble gets in the way. Matchups get in the way. And, you know, managing the entire rotation is not an easy thing to do. That's why coaches are paid a lot of money to do it. But I do think it's just about time that Nick Nurse gets away from, you know, the pattern he's had where he runs the starters quite a bit in the first and third. And then he'll take out one of the starters, usually Lowry, and then sometimes Siakam to run with four bench guys. I kind of think that should maybe have run its course. There are too many good players on this team. And the drop off from the top six or so is still enough that I think it's probably warranted to probably stagger a little bit more in terms of having more of those good players on the floor at all times. And, you know, I, I think there's a way to manage it so you still have the minutes managed. And you might even be able to minute manage the minutes better this way and keep Lowry away from the 37, 38, 39 range and get him back down to where I think they want him, ideally, when Fred gets back. Although we keep saying that, and we're 28 games into the season, 26 games into the season, and it hasn't really changed all that much, and he's still near the top of the league in minutes played. But... That, I think, is probably the way to go here. And, you know, Norm playing this well makes that a little bit easier to stomach, right? And and I... And it makes it more of a consideration. And it probably will end up benefiting the team long-term to have this sort of mini controversy between Powell and Fred. I'm sure people will get into their stances and, and, you know, believe one way or the other. I'm not terribly partial. I called for Norm at the start of the season, but I think Fred's been good enough and has passed a lot of the tests defensively as the two that I was a little bit concerned about with his size that I'm comfortable with with Fred starting and, and finishing games. Um, and look, I, I think Nurse has been pretty liberal with just playing the matchups too and is pretty happy to you know, if a guy is you know hot, he he he's not he has not been afraid to say bench OG Ananobi for Norm Powell late in the game, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. And I, I think you know Nurse is a pretty adaptable guy, and I think he'll figure this out. It's not like it's a terrible problem to have too many good guards playing too well. Now, before we get into some talk about the rotation and sort of how the bench pieces fit in, because. Guys are coming back. Health is uh, is finally being restored, and you know some guys' performances have been up and down. Uh, before we get to that, though, I want to tell you about Breaking Tea. If you're looking for a last-minute fun sports gift for the holidays, uh, go to BreakingTea.com/lockedon. Breaking Tea makes sports T-shirts around teams' passion moments. It's great for all fans. Go to BreakingTea.com/lockedon, and then feel free to search the site for great shirts and fun sports gifts, Raptor stuff included, at BreakingTea.com/lockedon. I love getting t-shirts, man. It's the best. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up-to-date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, so let's wrap things up here by quickly going through some of the rotation notes uh, that have come out of the last couple games. Obviously, Patrick McCaw is back, and he is deeply entrenched in the heart of Nick Nurse, and I don't think that's stopping anytime soon. Actually, let's listen in after Patrick McCaw 
in 22 minutes last night at six points, a couple assists, a nice, really, really nice back uh, behind the back assist on the run um, in a, on a breakaway situation where it was so clear and so predictable that McCaw was not going to shoot. It was just painful. He ended up passing it to OG for a dunk, and that was really cool and fun, and I'm glad he did it, um, but it was so, so telegraphed. It was hilarious, um, but he also hit two threes and took them, and apparently... And this is not something we've gotten to see very much because he hasn't played a whole ton this season. But apparently his three-point stroke was looking pretty good in the preseason. And Nick Nurse, uh, his love for him is going nowhere. Let's take a listen in to what he had to say about Patrick McCaw's game last night and what he offers on a night-to-night basis, even though he is pretty ass at offense. Again, they got some fast guards out there, so we, we need some speed. He's, he's, got, he's always an a impactful player defensively. Um, and, and even though he's maybe not the greatest offensive player in the world, he's still a smart offensive player. He'll cut. He'll make the right pass. He's a good passer. Um, not, nice to see him knock down a couple tonight because he, re- he really, really put in a lot of work this summer on his shooting. And again, with the in and out with the injuries, he hasn't had a real chance to get into some rhythm. So it's nice to make you know, see him knock him down. Um, he's good. You know, I just, I just like his overall IQ and his athleticism and his defensive prowess he goes out there and plays well even even the other night he, i think it was one for seven right that's my that's one of my favorite nights when i say one for seven and he had a great game and uh he did you know he, he was he's impactful and, and he's experienced now right he's he's been around a little bit and he's played in he's i think he started in the finals at least once so he's got three rings he's on his way to catching bill russell so yeah, Patrick McCaw seems to be kind of entrenched in there, and you know, as he was part of the trusted eight at the start of the season, I would assume that's kind of the position he's going to assume once Fred VanVleet comes back. And as much as I and you all love Terrence Davis, I kind of think Terrence Davis might see his minutes scaled back a little bit here once Fred VanVleet is healthy. And you know, that's a bit of a bummer because I think we all kind of are in agreement that we don't quite see what Nick Nurse is seeing with Patrick McCaw, but the more Nick Nurse says it, the more I'm being talked into it, I guess. I don't know. I thought McCaw was really good last night. I thought he was pretty effective in his minutes, even though he doesn't really do anything on offense. You know, Nurse is not wrong when he says he still makes the right plays. He still cuts and stuff like that. Whether or not he can be on the floor in like a high leverage playoff game, I don't think that is really the case because his shooting is just, he's not eager enough to do it and he hasn't proven to me just yet that he's more than you know a slightly below average three-point shooter and it's going to take some time to prove that um probably like four seasons to accrue enough attempts for McCaw to have any sort of meaningful sample at the rate he fires them up but he you know he does good things and his defense is certainly good and, and I guess the the matchup against the Cavaliers was a little bit more conducive to McCaw because of the quick guards they have out there as bad as the guards can be um you know McCaw you know is pretty quick at staying through those guys and, and fighting through screens and stuff like that he's a stick so he's kind of hard to screen and so I, I get it he's a little bit more sort of uh in control on defense than Terrence Davis is too like I think Davis probably has a higher upside defensively just because of his explosion and you know sort of his instincts but he's also a little bit haywire at times he had a foul last night on a three-pointer I give up a four-point play he does that seemingly a lot I think he picked up a flagrant doing that a couple games back you know, it's not exactly always clean from Davis on the defensive end, but that's fine. He's learning, and that's cool. 
And I guess it's okay that and nice that Macaw is there to sort of so absorb some of those minutes when a more trusted body is needed out there. I still think by the end of the season, we'll likely see Davis take over that Macaw spot um, as the number eight, but I am not holding my breath for anything anytime soon because Davis or Macaw very clearly uh, has nudes of Nick Nurse or something somewhere <laughs> and uh, forever will be uh, one of his faves. And then in addition to that, I think the roster crunch is going to sort of come for that power forward spot as well. And Last night, Rondae Hollis-Jefferson, uh, we learned after the game, missed the game with sort of a, a bit of a knock to his hamstring. It just seemed like he was getting benched in the reg- in, during the regular run of the game because it was not mentioned. Uh, he wasn't on the injury report or anything like that before the game, so it just kind of seemed like he was getting benched. And honestly, there was a bit of a, a segment of Nick Nurse's pregame availability where he was talking sort of vaguely about guys fitting into their roles, and if they're not fitting into their roles, they're not going to play. And that kind of seemed like a veiled shot towards Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, and I can't confirm that or anything, but considering Rondé was, like, taking threes and stuff like that against the Nets on Saturday and is kind of, I think, scaled back his aggression and his sort of prowess on the offensive glass in recent games as well, kind of ever since Serge Ibaka came back, there that pairing's been a little bit awkward and clunky, and Rondé hasn't quite been himself, I think... That might have been, from Nurse, a little bit of a, a message towards Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. And Chris Boucher served another message last night when he had 7 points, 5 boards, and an assist in 13 minutes. Really energetic, hit a 3, um, picked up 4 very quick fouls, but other than that, was was really effective. And you can kind of see the logic of why the Ibaka-Boucher front court might make a little bit more sense than the Rondé-Ibaka front court, just because Rondé is such a non-shooting threat. And look, I don't think teams are necessarily scared of Boucher, but he certainly has happy to take them at any point and you know he's a much better shooter than Rondé is and his shot is much less broken and all that stuff and he offers sort of similar stuff when it comes to the rebounding of it all obviously Rondé is a better passer and is a better sort of guy on the roll but I think with Ibaka the way he's played he's usually more sort of in sync when he's playing center especially in bench lineups that are led by Kyle Lowry and that was a big note from last night's game as well in that I thought Kyle did an awesome job, especially at the start of the second quarter, where I think Ibaka had eight straight points, really sort of massaging the offense to get a guy going. And, you know, we've seen Ibaka struggle since he got back. He was better against the Nets on Saturday and was really good last night in his minutes. He played 20 minutes, had 14 points and five boards, and uh, just looked to find that rhythm on that mid-range shot that he hasn't had in a while. And a lot of that was just that chemistry and the pick-and-pop and pick-and-roll with Kyle Lowry. And when you play with the Ibaka Ronde front court, you're kind of hamstringing yourself there because Ibaka is better used in that setup as a spacer to the corner or to the wing and Rondé's better as the guy on the roll but you kind of lose that Ibaka-Lowry connection which has been so good and so it kind of makes a little bit more sense with Boucher in there you can have Ibaka be the center you can have Boucher space out and that kind of spells a bit of trouble I think for Rondé as we go forward here and I, I just wonder how he really fits in and you know, Nurse has talked about wanting to get Boucher more run, and it seems like the discourse is pointing towards Boucher kind of having the leg up on Rondé right now, and I don't really have an opinion on it one way or another. I think there are, you know, things going forward and against as much as the space is improved by the Ibaka-Boucher pairing as opposed to having Rondé out there. You kind of lose a little bit of extra playmaking and savvy that uh, Hollis Jefferson kind of provides, especially when you have those bench units that are Lowry, Davis, McCaw, Boucher, and Ibaka. I mean... That's not a lineup that's full of like great playmakers or anything, and at least Rondé can be a bit of a playmaker on the roll and offer a bit of an outlet for Lowry if he sees extra attention or, or whatever. And 
you know, you're kind of missing that without Rondé. And I think we saw at the start of the fourth quarter yesterday, that bench unit wasn't particularly good and is also kind of a reason why I'm thinking, you know, start to stagger and have two starters play with bench guys a little bit more often to sort of make it a little bit more fluid of, of a, like, like, again, like a Sixers type of rotation. Um, but yeah, Rondé, I'm a little bit concerned about his future in the rotation, at least for the next little while. Obviously, injuries are going to pop up again at some point, And I really like Rondé as... The third big in a situation where you're missing one of Gasol or Ibaka for whatever reason, just because he can be a pretty good role man in a way more meaningful fashion than, say, Chris Boucher, who is pretty much all energy at this point and, and spacing out and, and, and tossing up threes. Whereas Rondé can actually serve like a, a purpose as a guy who can set the screen for you, roll catch it on the you know catch it on the dive and, and then make plays out of that or finish around the rim even if he's falling while doing it he does it with style and usually gets something done with it so I prefer Rondé in a situation where the health is not 100% but when you have both Abaka and Gasol I think Boucher makes a little bit more sense and that is unfortunately uh, the situation Rondé Hollis Jefferson finds himself in and maybe it was just a one game thing and the hamstring really was a thing that was enough to keep him out but I do kind of think it you know it seemed like Nurse was maybe looking for a bit of an excuse to play Boucher in in those minutes as opposed to Rondé and uh, I'm definitely curious to see how that carries on and if that becomes a bit of a storyline as we go through the next little while here because um, you know as we talked with James Herbert on Friday Rondé is a guy whose confidence can kind of oscillate a little bit and he can kind of get down on himself and I I don't want to see that Rondé seems like a really awesome and cool dude and I would like to see everyone get to play but there's there's a lot of depth on this team now and you know maybe some of the guys playing are not ones that you particularly love to see playing all the time namely McCaw but you know I, I think there's it's again you could have worse problems. You could be the Cavaliers where they have, you know, a, a couple of good players and one of them is an open rebellion. And uh, that's not the case with the Raptors. They're very good. And I think they've kind of reestablished themselves here a little bit over the last couple of games. You know, the Nets and the Cavs defenses will help you do that a little bit, but they've still sort of rebounded in a pretty nice way here and I think are set themselves up nicely for the next week or so. They got the Pistons tomorrow. They've got the Wizards on Friday and then next week it gets tough with the Pacers and the Mavs, although the Mavs won't have Luka, but they beat the Bucks last night without him, so maybe they don't need him. Um, and then two games against the Celtics. And it's nice that they have this bit of runway to kind of regain everything and, and to find that chemistry with Lowry and the rest of the team uh, ahead of those tougher games. And I, I, I'm feeling pretty good about those right now. So that's going to do it for me on today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. As I mentioned uh, last night on Twitter after the game, the podcast will run Tuesday to Saturday this week. I'll do one Saturday morning after the Wizards game, and we'll talk about that and tee up the week to come. And in the meantime, we got lots of fun stuff on tap for you. We'll talk about the Detroit game, obviously, probably Thursday morning. But tomorrow's episode, man, I'm so excited for tomorrow's episode. It's going to be uh, a longer one for sure. Might have to split it into a couple parts, but maybe not. We'll see how it goes. Uh, myself, Katie Heindel, and Vivek Jacob, uh, the two weekly guests you know and love, are going to be on the show, and we are going to be doing a fantasy draft of the Raptors moments from the last decade. I have lots of weird and uh, <laughs> semantic driven rules uh, that are tied up in the, the drafting of these teams, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait. It's going to be a nice throwback to the decade that was, and damn, it was a pretty damn good decade for the Raptors, so it's going to be some tough decisions. Lots of stuff will be left off the board. Looking forward to that, so stay tuned. That'll come out on Wednesday morning sometime, and I, uh, I can't wait, so stay tuned for that, and please, in the meantime, subscribe rate review itunes stitcher spotify google play all the places you get your podcasts and uh, that will do it we will talk to you on wednesday with the fantasy draft special of the 2010s here on locked on raptors 
Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.